Father, I just thank you for Anna. And Lord, I just pray you just bless her, Lord. I thank you for the preparation that she has taken over this, on this, Lord. And I pray you anoint her words, Lord. I pray that we will be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, challenged where we need to be challenged, God. And ultimately, Lord, transformed by your word. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Shata. Um, it's been a real privilege to be asked to, to preach this morning, and I recognize that some of you might not know who I am. Um, some of you do, rather too well, probably, Christopher. Um, <laughs> we'll say about why. Um, so I'm Anna Payne, my husband Chris, who's over there, who's going to be reading a bit later, um, and I have been part of this church for 27 years. Um, <laughs> we joined, thank you, it's quite a long time, isn't it? Shockingly long, rather. Um, we joined when we were meeting once a fortnight um, in a pub, which has now been demolished. Um, and uh, we have moved with the church to various places, Badger Farm, um, Community Centre, um, the university, where else, Chris? Into the other bit of this, first of all, I mean. <laughs> um, so we've been all over the place. Um, and it's been amazing and a real privilege to see the church grow um, and to, to see the things that God has been doing in the church over those years. Um, part of who I also am is I'm a teacher. Um, I teach up at King's, um, the big state school in Winchester, where a lot of you either go, have gone, or work. Um, I started there as an English teacher. I still do teach English, which is how I know Christopher quite so well, because bless him, he was in my class for two years. Um, I'm not going to put him on the spot and ask him to give me a Macbeth quote, but I might do later. <laughs> um, and I'm now an assistant head teacher there as part of the senior leadership team. Um, I'd like to pray before we get started. Father, I pray that you will speak to each of us today. And we ask that your Holy Spirit comes and teaches us as we read your word and shows us how to live out um, what we hear today in our lives. Help us to be real today. Amen. Okay. I, um, I asked for a clicker, but I also said to Shatan, please don't give it to me until just before, because I have this horror that either I would inadvertently move the worship slides on or I would just become really cheeky and think, right, I really like that song, let's go back and do it again. Um, so he didn't give it to me until about a minute ago. So I'm hoping it works. Cool. So those of you who were here last week, <laughs> this will be easier for you. Those of you who weren't, just draw on your general knowledge. Um, you will have up in front of you some questions from the talk that Paul gave us last week. Um, ideally, you're sitting next to someone to whom you can speak. If not, please turn around and, and work with someone next to you. You can tell I'm a teacher, can't you? Um, can we um, find the answers to those questions? You have an exciting two minutes in which to do this. Go. Don't worry if you weren't here last week, a guess is a good thing as well. 
10 seconds left. Alyssa's looking them up. And stop. Thank you. So does anyone want to call them out? Where was Nehemiah living at the start of the book? Where was Nehemiah living? Anyone give it a go. Shout it out. Go on, Chris. He did. Well done, Christopher. Yay. Star people. Um, <laughs> what was his role? What was his job at the time? It was the very last sentence of chapter one. Told us what it was. Anyone give it a go? Cupbearer to the king. Absolutely. Well done, <laughs> everyone. Um, meaning that um, he was also the, the sort of taste tester um, for the king. He obviously had a really close relationship with the king. Um, but if anyone wanted to poison the king, Nehemiah got poisoned first, um, which saved the king's life, but not Nehemiah's. Um, what news did he hear which upset him so much? Anyone give that one a go? Sorry, where are we going? Yep. Jerusalem's walls had been destroyed, absolutely, and the gates burnt. And so he was, he'd heard that news um, where he was in Babylon and was incredibly upset about it, um, which kind of gives you the next answer, um, his reaction to the news. So initially he was upset about it, but then what did he do? How did that sort of continue to affect him? Can we remember? I'm going to go to Paul. Paul. Thank you. Um, Paul didn't know we were really stuffed. Um, he, he mourned and he fasted in response. Um, and what two other books in the Bible um, cover this story? Chronicles, Ezra, and actually another one. Let's go for another one as well. Esther. Thank you. Brilliant. And Paul left us last week with a personal challenge. What's God breaking our heart over? Now, I know this was pre the death of our, our queen, so I know that a lot of the nation's heart is breaking over that in particular at the moment. But this was more to do with the things that God has put on our heart, um, that we are, we are broken by God over these things. Um, and what of the, what's the cost of that going to be for us as God has put these things on our hearts? So have a little think about that. If you weren't here last week, that's the first time that challenge has come up to you. If you were, this is a chance just to share with the person next to you, what was it that God has been speaking to you about? There are so many things out there, as Paul said, but actually God puts this thing, things specifically on our hearts that we are the ones that are there to, to be God's voice in that, in that time and in that space that is necessary. So have a think and then just share with the person um, that you've been sharing with so far, what is it that God's been putting on your heart and how will that affect you? Okay, I think just to share for me, I 
I know that God has put on my heart a real genuine passion for, um, for, for, for young people, um, and in particular for young people from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, and just a real frustration, sometimes even an anger, that these people, these young people are um, having to endure the things that they endure because of the background in which they have been brought, born and brought up, and a real desire to see God come and change that, so that when I'm walking, you know, I think you know when, when God puts something on your heart because, you know, I can be walking down Winchester High Street and see lots of children I know or I could be walking through the streets of Edinburgh where we were a few weeks ago for our son's baptism and, and see young people there as well and still just want to pray for them, just want to see God work in their lives, just want things to change for them and really believing that. Um, so that's, that's where my passion and where my heart is. And I know, looking around the room, I know there are lots of other people with clear passion um, and heart for similar things and other things that are on God's heart. Um, we're going to now listen to Nehemiah 2. I asked Chris to, uh, to read it for me. So, Chris, if you come up and I'll hand over the microphone baton. Thanks, Anna. So Anna asked me at breakfast this morning whether I'd be willing to read Nehemiah 2, and I said, well, as long as it doesn't have any complicated names like Artaxerxes, and she said, yes, it does. <laughs> Give it a go. Here we go. Uh, so in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city and my ancestors are buried, lied in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What is it you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, Well, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? Well, it pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. And I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. And when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Nehemiah inspects Jerusalem's walls. When I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they began, I'm sorry, they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite of Hishor, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Well, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Thank you very much, Chris. Sorry about the big words. Um, like Artaxerxes. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was thinking about Nehemiah, I was reading through it. I was reading some notes that said about serving God realistically. And it made me think about the latest phenomenon, which is be real. Um, could you put your hand up if you actually know what I'm talking about when I say be real? Oops. Okay. Um, anyone down there? Shatan, can I move with this? Or is it going to do... Should we try? Um, Alyssa, would you be able to give people um, an explanation of what be real actually is? Well, it's like an app that you just... It gives you a notification every day and you have to take a picture in those two minutes of like what you're doing at that moment. And that picture is just one picture or more? Like, it takes it from your front camera and the camera on the back of your phone, so it's like both. What's behind you and what's in front of you. <laughs> Thanks, Alyssa. Give her a round of applause. Thank you. It's not as far in a classroom. Walk around. Um, so, yeah, Be Real, um, this app that um, I really, really, really wish that the people who give the notifications, so this kind of thing pings through at any point in the day. Andy, Laura, you're probably the same. Really wish they did it outside of school hours <laughs> because there's a real temptation to get that out and do it at that precise moment in time. But there's this idea that it's one moment in time, but we look at what's behind us um, and we look at what's ahead of us. So the photos that are shown are what's behind someone and what's in front of someone, um, as well as it being in that precise moment in time. So as we're thinking about Nehemiah, I think it's important to, to think along those lines, to think about where he comes from and where he's going to. So <laughs> it starts with saying that it's the month of Nisan, um, it always makes me smile because I've got a Nissan Note, um, but I don't think it's got anything to do with my car. Um, but he has to, we, we find out that he's been waiting. Um, he hears that news about Jerusalem's walls being broken and burnt, um, and he waits. He actually ends up waiting for four months, 
which when you look at that screen, you'll see is a relatively small amount of time in comparison with the time that other people have waited um, in the Old Testament. I'll let you read that. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering what's the length of time that I've waited for God's answers to prayers and I'm fairly sure there are people here who have waited or are still waiting a long time to see God's answers to prayers. So would you mind just showing me with your fingers, if you really need to take your shoes and socks off you can as well if it's that long, but um, how many years do you think you've waited for various things? You could still be in the midst of waiting, so you could be waiting to see a family member come to know the Lord, for example. So it could be, you know, you'd be showing me three years because you've already been, you've been praying three years for this to happen and it's still not happened. Or you could have a wonderful testimony for us um, of something that you've waited for a long time and then it, and it did come. So have a little think and then if you can, just show me with your hands how long you've waited for things and seen God's answer to those prayers, um, the longest thing that you've waited for. Do you want to? Wow. So we've got Paul down here at 30 years. <laughs> we've got, is that 15? <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Paul, are you, are you happy to say what it is you're waiting for? Or should we just leave that for the moment and just know it's, it's just a, rel- just <laughs> a relative to come to know the Lord? So I think we all have our different experiences of, of waiting for answers. And I think it's quite significant to put it in context of the times that God does ask for us to wait and the patience that we need um, when we're waiting for these things. And again, as I was thinking about it, um, we know that Nehemiah waited for four months and in that time he prayed, he mourned, he fasted. But when we are reading all of these stories, we're reading them with the benefit of hindsight. And I was really struck by the fact that when we're in it, that benefit is not there. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. We don't know how long it will last. Um, And Nehemiah, yes, looking back, he only had to do four months. Other people were waiting years, you know, 25, 30, 100 years. But when Nehemiah was in it, he didn't know it was only going to be four months at all. and I think that's, that's important for us because when we're in that time of waiting, it's a time of holding on to God's promises and believing and trusting um, that he will answer those prayers, even if we don't know when those answers will come. Um, and the, the fruit there, obviously patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So he's teaching us that as we go. I think at the end when we talk, um, when we pray, if there is something that you have been waiting for um, and you are in the process of seeking God for and just waiting for that answer, it would be a great time to to receive prayer for that and just to have encouragement from people, family and friends um, of the church around you. So do come up for that at the end. And again, as I was praying, this is, 
I forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I just feel that there may be people in our in our church or in our family and in our lives who are particularly struggling with the two things that I came up with when I was praying. Um, I've already mentioned one of them, a f- member of the family, to, to come to know the Lord, specifically potentially someone who's moved away from a faith that they had um, strongly for a while, and that seems to have gone, so praying for that. And again, I felt that potentially people who um, are going through... Um, infertility or, or waiting to get pregnant um maybe that people we know but just those are the two and forgive me as i say if i'm wrong please forgive me for that okay we move on to wonderful artaxerxes king of persia and um as we read it you can see he um if you're thinking about it in a sort of modern context or in our workplace environments um or yeah uh, you've got a boss, really, that only wants shiny, happy people around him. If you have a, have a look and a read, um, he's, it was actually quite dangerous for Nehemiah to say that, um, well, even to look sad. And I've put your boss here, but I'm thinking, you know, if you're in a school or a college community, it could equally be someone that's significantly important um, within that community. And that could be, like, the most popular person around, um, you know, who kind of dictates... Um, the temperature of the people with whom they they move and with whom they work. Um, And yet, Artaxerxes only wants these shiny, happy people. But four months in, Nehemiah couldn't keep it in any longer. His face um, said out loud what was going on in his mind. And I know that, well, I know that I'm guilty of that sometimes. Um, (laughs) The eye roll um, or the grumpy face at various points can give away what's going on in my head. So that's the situation. He says to Nehemiah, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of heart. Okay. I'd like you, imagining that's your situation, put it in your context. As I say, it could be a popular person in college who's kind of going, why are you looking so sad? Right? What, what's it to you? Why, you? why have you got that face? Or it could be someone that you're working for, um, a colleague with whom you're working, any of those situations. But they've noticed it. They've called you out um, at that point in time. And it could potentially uh, ruin your career or it could make things difficult for you. It could mean that you're no longer accepted within a group of people. Talk to the person next to you or group around you. What do you do in a situation like that? Can you have a little chat, please?
Is someone at okay. <laughs> For a moment there, I thought it had gone off. Okay. That situation um, that I think we all probably have faced at one point or another. Um, what do we do? How do we feel um, in those situations? Um, I'm hoping that you've been able to talk to the person next to you about that, not necessarily share amongst everyone here. But I certainly have um, been in situations like that when I'm faced with um, a, um, a statement by someone within the senior leadership team, potentially, um, and I'm thinking, gosh, how do, I, how do I respond to that? How do I react to that? Or um, if a if a child pulls me up, Miss, you're looking, you know, why are you looking like you do today? Um, <laughs> I have had that, and um, I try not to take offence. Um, <laughs> it's when my eyebrows were called caterpillars that I would have had to work really hard. Um, but it's fine, I've forgiven her. She's left school, <laughs> it's a long time ago. <laughs> um, but in those moments, um, what did Nehemiah do? He had that, that quick prayer. So I, I love the way when we read it, it's sort of, he gets asked the question, he, kind of, he says, says he prays and then he carries on talking. Um, and it's those moments of, of quick prayer. And um, I think we've probably all had those experiences of that, that quick, like, oh God, help me. Like genuinely, God, what am I going to say now? How do I answer this? Give me the discernment. Help me to know what's going on here. How can I say the right thing at this precise moment in time? And then you just have to open your mouth and speak because people are waiting and looking and hoping that you're going to say something. Um, so Nehemiah's doing that. Um, but I think it's important that we remember that he did have those four months that he'd already spent praying and fasting. It isn't just the quick prayers. Um, the quick prayers are, are amazing. They're the pray without ceasing type of a prayer, um, which is, means it doesn't mean that you just never stop because I, I think we need sleep. Um, it's more like that kind of repeated attacks or a hacking cough type of a thing. It just keeps coming back um, type of a prayer. But before all of that, he'd spent those four months um, praying and fasting. And in that time, he had... Um, asked for wisdom about what to do about the news of Jerusalem's walls being destroyed. And he had thought and plans about what he wanted to do. And because of those things, because he'd spent that time in the moment, he had the courage to, do, to ask for far more than you would have thought possible. I mean, we could have, he could have just left it as, please, can I go? Um, but no. Um, as Chris was reading, there was this great list of things. He'd already pre-planned the things that he was going to ask for if the opportunity arose. He knew what he wanted, um, and he'd done that in conjunction with God as he prayed for those things. So he had the courage to ask because he'd already spent that time praying. And obviously, we see that God answers. And it's great, Nehemiah says... Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, God granted my requests. Which also sort of reminds us of that one in Psalms. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. That God is in charge. God answers. And we need to trust into that, in that wisdom. I think it's important, certainly in today's um, society, it's not luck. It's not self-determined, but it's not excellent networking skills or who wins popularity contests that decides what will happen. It's God's will be done. 
And when we realize that, that's when we give him glory and thanks for what he's done in our, in our lives. Give him the glory and thanks that he deserves for answering our prayers. But if we think back about what I said about being real and what Nehemiah teaches us about that. And I know, I acknowledge that I'm bringing to this things from our working environments, um, from um, schools and colleges and those sorts of workplaces. And I know that there's so much more to draw out of Nehemiah 2 that can't be fitted into, um, well, Nehemiah as a whole, but can't be fitted into one sermon. So for those of you who've spotted other things and are wondering why I'm not focusing on those, forgive me. These are the things that I think God put on my heart to bring from this. And one of those things is that patience to work with others. And I think we've got a variety of different people with whom Nehemiah has to work um, and shows us how to go about that. That really rang true with for me, and I'm hoping that they do for you as well. I think this can be colleagues at work. It could be um, other parents with young children. It could be people in our families, our friends, our neighbours these sort of types of people with whom we have to get on, with whom we have to work, with whom we have to have the patience to, to do that, are all around us. Um, and I think we can learn lessons from here. So uh, Nehemiah was dealing with an unbelieving king. Um, he had a lot of power. Artaxerxes previously had stopped the work on rebuilding Jerusalem Temple. Um, there's a little bit of controversy about whether it was him or whether it was another person who had the same name, but let's go with it, it was him. And, um, you know, he had stopped that work years previously. So Nehemiah was genuinely worried about asking. He was genuinely afraid um, to ask these things of the unbelieving king. And yet he had the courage to do that. And some of the things that clearly have helped him to do that uh, is that what we talked about, how he prayed first. He spent that time praying, asking God to soften the heart of Artaxerxes. And I've certainly, over the last few years, had situations where um, I've come home, I've talked to Chris, I'm just like, I, I just, I don't know what to do in this situation. I just don't know what to do. And um, we've talked about it, and the answer is, is pray and ask God's wisdom in how to handle this, how to talk. And then I've talked to people, I've had words of wisdom from people for me, and I've had a, a way forward. You know, I've spoken to, to Joe and to Katie here about something, and they gave me prayer and wisdom about a way forward. And an answer was there. We did receive an answer. Um, but it's just spending that time praying and thinking about it um, as God would like us to. And I think it's important as well. Nehemiah is very trustworthy, the king doesn't want him to go. That would be great, doesn't it, if all our bosses like, no, don't leave. Um, and I think, why is Nehemiah so trustworthy? What is it that we think he's done that means that the king wants him to come back? How are we trustworthy in our workplaces? Could you just, again, just talk to the person next to you? What is it that makes, you, makes us trustworthy? What, what is it that makes people trust us? What do we do that inspires trust in the people around us? And how does that make a difference?
Okay. Um, Edward, Edward Law, <laughs> could you give us... Look, he looks terrified. Um, would you be able to... Do you want me to come down with this? Or would you be able to shout out to people something you feel makes us trustworthy? What is it in us that, that other people look at? Yeah, absolutely. When you say you're going to do something, carrying it through and doing it. Andy, what about you? Absolutely. Trying not to get involved in gossip. Someone at the back. Sorry, I can't see. Being really heard. Listen to, absolutely. Um, so people know that when they talk, you listen, and you properly listen, and you remember things there. Thank you for that. Any others around the place? Laura. Being consistent. So again, Laura's another fantastic teacher. And um, I know that one of the things that pupils really appreciate is consistency in the classroom. And I'm assuming, I'm sure, that every time they go into Laura's classroom, they will know exactly what they're going to get. It doesn't matter her mood or anything else like that. They will get the same, the same thing. Is that right? <laughs> we try anyway, don't we? <laughs> Um, so yes, things that make us trustworthy, um, that the king, in this situation, the king wanted Nehemiah to come back. He was a valued person. And I think it's really useful in our workplaces and in the environments in which we move to, to think about can we be those trustworthy people. As Andy said, not getting involved in gossip is one of the, the top ways of doing that. It's someone else's story to tell. And actually trying to ensure that that's what happens is, is difficult um, at times, but really important. And also, um, be tactful and sensitive. So King Artaxerxes, um, he, as I said, he had stopped the rebuilding uh, of Jerusalem Temple um, before. And I thought it was really interesting. Nehemiah doesn't mention Jerusalem. Oh, no. He says, um, he, he refers to it at the place of his father's tombs. He'd like to go back to where he comes from. He doesn't mention Jerusalem because I think that might be a trigger point for um, Artaxerxes. So he sort of gets his message across, but he's very much aware of the person to whom he's speaking, and he's very much aware of what might be a trigger for them and actually understanding that, not necessarily agreeing with it, but understanding it so that we can come to a point um, where we can move forward. So within our workplaces, um, being tactful and sensitive for people. Okay. I suppose reading the room as well when you're in a meeting or that kind of thing. How are people reacting to things? So, other people that uh, Nehemiah has to work with. So, we've got the demoralized believers, the people who've lost hope. They started building that temple and all construction stopped. And, you know, where are they going to go from there? So they've had years now of things not moving forward. And they do believe in God. They do have that, that sort of inherent trust in God. But they can't see things moving forward. Um, and it hasn't been successful. So their response to this newcomer coming in, this outsider coming in, could really be negative. Um, it could be resistant to change. I think we've probably all um, encountered that. Potentially they're fearful or suspicious. You know, is he coming in to say this? Is he actually working for the, for the king? Is he doing something untoward here? Is this underhand? So suspect, suspicious, there, can't say it, suspicious of, um, of Nehemiah's motives. And again, I think it's important that we remember 
we might encounter that around us. There might be people around us who are not uh, willing initially to trust us, who maybe just have got into a habit of negativity. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be the ones that tell us the things that could potentially go wrong um, all of the time. Uh, and it's up to us to, again, set the temperature. Um, we are the thermostat, not them. So if we can change that temperature, we can, we can modify their behavior according to the way in which we react to them. And we can support them. We can realize why they might be feeling like this. It's perfectly understandable that these people are feeling um, sort of lacking in hope and distrustful. They've had a really tough time. So not judging them for that, but understanding where they're coming from and helping them to move forward. Um, So one of the things that uh, Nehemiah does, he arrives, he's obviously got all of his um, letters that he got from the king that said he was to be trusted. But he doesn't go waving them around, calling a grand meeting, saying, right, uh, everyone in my room in, in half an hour, please, we need to sort this out. Um, he spends some time, he's, he settles in, and three days later, he goes quietly and at night to go and inspect what's actually going on, to actually find out the truth. And that really hit me. We can have reports of things. People can tell us what they think has gone on. Um, but actually what Nehemiah does is he goes and sees for himself what's been going on. And I think that's really important for us to make our own judgments about things, to see the actual the reality of things. And as Andy was saying, you know, not to get involved in gossip or thinking about you know, what other people have said has happened, but what's actually happened. And to do that quietly as we begin to work out what to do next. And when he talks to them, he talks in the, um, he, he's very inclusive. So he's talking about, um, you see the trouble we're in. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He's not judging them. He's, he's being part of um, the problem that faces them and of the solution. And again, I think that's really important for us um, in our environments. Let's... Let's ensure that we don't stand apart and, and judge others for things that may or may not have gone wrong or for the, way, the decisions that they've made. Let's find out the facts. Let's see what's actually happening. And let's be part of that solution um, and be part of the group of people with whom we're working. Um, let's recognize their emotions. Let's value them. Um, but then don't leave them there. Let's try and motivate and inspire them um, to move forward. So, yes, it's tough. Yes, they've had a difficult time. But then let's move forward. Let us arise and build. Let us do that. Let's do it together, working together. And I think part of it, again, if you look at the text, he's talking about he uses as evidence for that, um, uh, witnessing what God's already done. So he tells them about what God's already done in his life. If we think back to the be real, um, you know, what's behind him, he, where he's come from, what's behind him, gives him the kudos, the credibility to be able to say to those people, look, this is what God's done so far. Therefore, I can say to you, let us build, arise and build. This will happen because God God's hand is on it. Um, and that gives him the inspiration for, for what's going to be going on next. And then we have the enemies. Um, I'm sure that we don't always have really clear enemies like Nehemiah's got here. Um, 
But he does have people who are trying to pull it down, who are being really negative, who are saying this will never work, who are saying he's, you know, they're suspicious of him, he's just there to, to cause rebellion. They obviously want things to stop. And in this situation, Nehemiah confronts them. Um, at work, we call it radical candor. So when you're, you're actually, you care so much about the situation or about the person um, that's causing the problem that you are able to be um, as candid as you need to be to say things how they are, but with that love, a desire to see things get better and a desire to see things change. You're honest because you care and uh, you know the right thing to do because without it, things are going to just go into stalemate or even regress. You absolutely, you've got the vision of where things are, are going to go, what God wants you to do. And there are times when you just have to speak the truth to someone in love, making sure that they understand you know, the whys of what you're doing, but not letting people hinder God's plans if you can see that they are, are being used to, to try and do that. And I think God, God also protects us in that. Remember, he sent the cavalry, well, he sent... He sent a bodyguard with Nehemiah to Jerusalem at this point. And I think that came across to me as well. We might be going into difficult territory at times, but God is always protecting us, um, even in these difficult conversations that we might have to do. Okay. Um, I think that's probably everything I've got up there. Trusting in God's power, I think, is really important. And he says the God of heaven will give us success. Just having the confidence to speak those words out um, in these difficult situations with sometimes difficult people. So as we come to the end, thinking about summing up what we've talked about today, and thank you for your participation as we've done so. You're not quite finished with it yet. Um, from Nehemiah, I believe we've learnt that we need to wait on God for his timing in things, whether that's four days, four months, four years, or 400. Um, God is in control of that timing. Um, we will need to work and be with different sorts of people, but we need to be real in that situation. We need to ask God to support us with those different things. It's not new. We've got From Nehemiah, we've got that experience. And we will be asked to wrestle with problems. They aren't going to go away because we're Christians. We're asked to wrestle with them and bring them to God. But I'm challenging us, let's, let, this week, going forward, let's ask God to be real in our situations, to be real in the planning, in our planning, ask him into the things that we're planning for, to be real in our hearts and our minds when we're tempted to gossip, when we're tempted to focus on the negative, let's ask God in and help us to be real about how different our lives can be with him in them. Let's ask him into our workplaces and to the people with whom we have to work and uh, relate to each day. And let's ask him into our words and our actions so the things that come out of our mouths are those that God wants us, them to be, not our own desires. So as I said, just finishing off then, what I'd like you to do, and again, talking to the person next to you, ideally... If I'm challenging you to be real this week, if I'm challenging you to think about the moments that are coming up, the vision ahead, what does being real, what does asking God into the situations of this week going to look like? How is it going to be different if we can do that? If you could just sort of commit to that with the person next to you, chat to them and say, what is it that you're going to do differently this week um, as we ask God to be real?
into, the, into those conversations, how are you going to know it's worked? How are you going to know the impact it's made? How are you going to ch check that? What are you going to do to find out the impact of those things that you've decided this week? Okay. Thank you this morning, everyone, um, for your willingness to participate. I appreciate that hugely. I think as we're drawing to a close and thinking about um, prayer, and if people would like to come forward or ask the person to whom you've been speaking so much next to you um, to pray for you. Um, as I say, earlier I mentioned people who are in the midst of a long wait for something, uh, waiting to see God's answer to prayer, whether that's um, something specific to you, or as I say, I believe that God put on my heart, um, someone, people waiting for family or friends coming to know him, in particular people who've turned away from God and waiting to see them come back to him, or anyone that you know that is possibly struggling with um, fertility at the moment as well. I believe that God would like us to pray into our workplace situations, um, wanting to see the hand of God come into them and to change the hearts of people um, in the people that we, with whom we work. Uh, I really believe that's, that's going to be important. And also thinking you may be one of those people who are feeling a bit demoralized, um, the ones where you know the truth, um, but in a way the things that have happened has meant that your, your hope has diminished and potentially feel as if you're giving up hope about various things and we just want to pray that God will refresh that for you and give you a fresh vision so that we can be real we can look at the things that have happened in our past we can take a, a stop right now and we can have a fresh vision of what's in front of us and going forward so those are the things that I feel um, that, that you know if we want to have people up wanting to, to pray but obviously if there's anything else that's on your heart from God um, Let's, let's pray for those as well.